message this morning, I just want to give you kind of a warning, is coming from a very real place in me. Um, in some ways, I've kind of laughed because it's become a gold mine of quotes um, that God kept hitting me right between the eyes about. And this may be true for me today, and I, I, I know somewhere, big or small, it's got to be true for some of you in here this morning. So I hope you can relate, because it's just as much for me this morning as it is for all of us. This message isn't coming from some self-righteous or entitled place. This message is not a five easy steps to immediately fix your life. It's not one of those. That would be nice though, right? Yeah. This message is not saying, I know it all, because I definitely do not. But what I do know and what I am learning as I walk with God, I'm doing my best to share with you guys every week. I want to share some things. Maybe you can identify and maybe you can relate. I'm not trying to vent here, but I want to paint a picture that maybe you can, maybe you can relate to some of the things in here. And it might not be specific. It might be broad. But you can say, I, that sounds familiar. Uh, currently, this is this week, uh, two of my best friends in ministry here uh, in town are both separately moving away within weeks of each other. Uh, you guys know Ben Bowman, right? He's moving to Illinois. Love Love my friend Ben Bowman. He's got a fantastic new campus pastor job up there in Fremont or Freeport or Free something, Illinois. He's going to be free. That's what it is. And uh, so he's moving up there. Some of the new lighting equipment that we have just got and kind of been putting together is all, it's not working right. We've got to ship some of it back. Our wireless TV kit, has it glitched yet this morning? Because I know it did last week, or I heard it did. Hallelujah. Maybe that's one thing we can cross off our list, because I was, I was pretty sure on technical support earlier this week that had bit the dust. Uh, our renovations uh, aren't complete here yet. You might not know that, but peek your head in a few doors and be like, ugh, that's still brown uh, and not gray and still peach and stuff like that. Leaders in our church who started out the year here just a few months ago have, and for good reasons, uh, had to stop leading. I am joyfully, there's nothing, I am joyfully and thankfully handing the reins of something that I am deeply passionate about, which is worship, um, over to Scott. Because I know I can't keep doing everything that I've been doing and still breathe. Um, and I trust Scott. And I'm more glad than you know to get something off my plate, but it doesn't make it any easier to let go of. My dad's stage four pancreatic cancer is still an ongoing battle. It gets harder every day. My wife and I are now beyond six years of medically unexplained infertility. And we're sitting back and watching as Facebook as we watch our friends and family get to become the parents we can't yet. And we're still waiting and praying. My wife has been enduring many medical issues for the past seven years, including, you may not know, an autoimmune thyroid disease. And now, this week, was diagnosed with something else. Uh, yes, no, share, not share. Lupus, yeah. So, hooray, pile it on, right? Uh, I, myself, have a stress-induced intestinal problem since I was 25. I got a colonoscopy and an endoscopy that makes me sick no matter what I eat, stress-induced. And I'll tell you, I'm in the wrong profession to keep that in check. Families, and this might be you, within our church are being broken. Relationships severed. People moving away. I've been entrusted to lead a church that has fought, you guys just fought to stay open. 
despite two pastors leaving in the last six years who put this church in disgusting financial situations. And that at currently the very basic spending, we lose three times as much money as we bring in every month just to keep our doors open. You don't know how long that can be sustained, neither do I. God does, that's okay. But I'm smiling, right? <laughs> Trying to. Because though I may get frustrated and discouraged, I have learned, and it could be even just this past week, and it could be within the last 24 hours, I am not shaken. You know what this means? This means I get to see God come through in a big way. Because if he doesn't, we're not here. I was talking with Ben Bowman again, like I said, he's moving away. We were talking this week uh, before he moves, and uh, we were talking about True Life Church here. And he said something that I think will always stick with me. He said, you know what, how many churches should be jealous of the situation that you guys are in? We don't usually think about it that way. To truly have to be in a situation of complete dependency on God. To not depend on some big financial giver. To not depend on some $6.5 million budget. To not depend on some 150-year history. To not depend on some opening of a sixth extension satellite campus. We don't have none of that. We are actually in a great place right now because we get to step back. And if we remain steadfast to watch the impossible become possible. To watch growth out of decay, to watch God be who he is. What a blessed time to be a part of True Life Church right now. Do you guys feel that? I, I, I do. So I tell you all of this, not like I said, just here's an example into the last 37 hours of, of my life, but because maybe you can relate. Can anyone like, really say, you know what, I've, I've got some tough times. Maybe I'm in a storm right now. And I said a long time ago that there's only three possible perspectives on this storm equation. Either you were in one, and you're getting ready to go into another one, and you don't know it yet. You're in one now, and you know it. You don't, I don't have to be up here telling you that you're in a storm. You're there. Or you're about to go into one. There's only three possible, three possible things in this equation. Storms are going to happen in this life. And you might feel like that book of Job describes your daily life situation. Everything being taken away. Everything being broken or being moved or being destroyed. And you know what it feels like to go through a hard time. And you know what it feels like to be disciplined. And you know what it feels like to be pruned. But lately, this might for you just feel like you're being kicked while you're down. Like the world is just out to get you and you don't know why. You are in a storm. Anyone in a storm this morning? You have to raise your hands. You know. In here. You know. I want to read you the definition from the dictionary of steadfast. Steadfast. Resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. And if you have a three by five flashcard, I encourage you to just write steadfast down on something and put it on your mirror or something this week. Put it on a post-it note, steadfast. Resolutely or dutifully firm and unwavering. Now last week you may know... we. My wife and I were actually able to take a vacation for the first time uh, in a few years, a good few years, and we're getting back into things. We come back here, you know, the problems, the things breaking here, we, you know, deaths of loved ones, relationships separating, loss of jobs, the anticipation of family and friends moving away, and you know, you, you're right back in the storm. Have you guys ever tried to pull a Jonah? 
before? You guys ever tried to pull a Jonah? You know Jonah and the whale, we know that story. Have you ever tried to get away, even on vacation, to escape the circumstances you're in, only to find that you're pulled back into the same situation and maybe even more problems staring you in the face when you get back? And it seems like no matter what you do, the situation is still broken. It is out of your control. The outlook is bleak. And the possibility of your success seems just as small. And we talked in our series a few weeks ago on the parable of the sower and the seed, and we talked about perseverance. But I need to reemphasize this point again. You will be tested in this life. It's a guarantee. You will be tested in this life. Now, anyone knows you will be tested. You don't have to be a Christ follower to get that. You don't have to have a PhD in School of Hard Knocks to know that you're going to be tested in this life. But you don't have to know Jesus to know that life will throw a lot of things at you. But knowing Jesus determines how you handle those things or if those things handle you. You will be tested. We find it here in the Word. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 3 says, The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Again, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, we are not trying to please men, but God, who tests our, anyone want to take a guess? Hearts. Who tests our hearts. God who tests our hearts. And one of the main things I think we get wrong in this life, especially, especially as Christ followers, is that we misunderstand what is being tested. We, we confuse that. We get that wrong. We think that when physical things happen to us, we are being tested physically. When emotional things happen to us, we think we are being tested emotionally. When circumstances change on us, we think that we are being tested circumstantially. But know this, it is always, the word tells us, it is always your heart that is being tested. If you've lost your job, for example, don't be deceived. It's not a test of your finances, it's a test of your heart. If you're in an argument with your spouse, it's not the relationship that's being tested. It's your hearts that are being tested. If your world seems like it's just falling apart and you're in this storm, it's not your retirement plan or your housing situation or even your abilities and your talents that are being tested. It's your heart. And we get what's actually being tested wrong way, way too often. And it affects our faith. And we ask God for the wrong things. See, if we lost our job, we would probably pray for God to give us enough money to make it through, right? That's okay. But we should maybe instead and also be praying that God moves our hearts to be content with more or with less. When we get a bad medical diagnosis, we would probably pray that what? God just heals it and makes it better and takes it away. And that's okay. But instead, we're also we should be praying that God gives our heart the strength to endure the diagnosis and trust for healing in his time and in his way. It's a heart matter. It's a heart test. I'm going to pick up in 1 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles with you, if you don't, uh, we have some out in our fellowship area that you are welcome to just take with you if you don't have one of your own. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. 
And a few weeks ago, we, we talked about worship and that one first verse from Psalm 127 that Solomon wrote that it says, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. So I want you to be thinking about that as we're talking about building today. Here's verse 10. This is Paul writing, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation, using gold or silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, and doesn't say those are bad things, we need to build on that. That's our foundation. It says, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will, here's that word again, test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. You see, only by remaining steadfast... And using materials that will sustain the fire, testing the builder, you, then you will receive a reward. You guys know the best part of being tested? Say, there's a best part? Yeah. The best part about being tested is it can become part of your testimony. By you staying steadfast in the Lord and coming out on the other side of the storms in your life, you can use that story to give God glory to give others hope and healing, to share true life through Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. Many of you already have great stories to share, but maybe you don't share them as often as you should. But when your life and your story point to the Savior, others can see the direction. Fortunately for us, there are two really helpful passages on storms that we're going to look at this morning. And they're both found in Matthew. So again, if you have your Bible, turn over to me, Matthew chapter 8. We're going to learn a few things that God's Word can teach us. Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. Here's our first story on storms. And yours might have the small title above it. It says, Jesus calms the storm. And here it is, verse 23. Then he, Jesus, got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, or the Sea of Galilee, uh, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. That's okay. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And that's our first story. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 14, just a few pages over. And we're going to read another story about storms. Starting in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. We'll read through 33. It says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. This is after the feeding of the 5,000. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself, trying to get alone time, uh, to pray. 
When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against this. And we know from reading the other Gospels, there is another storm here. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Here's this famous story of of Peter. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And this story is also recorded in the other Gospels. And they add some details that are helpful for us. In the book of John, he actually gives us the distance the disciples had rowed across the Sea of Galilee already. You know how long it is? It's three and a half miles they were across the lake. Three and a half miles. In other words, they were about three quarters of the way there already of crossing the Sea of Galilee. Mark also adds that Jesus was going to pass them. Jesus was just booking it, walking across the water. They were in their boat. That's great. He wasn't even going to bother to stop. But they saw him, cried out, it's a ghost in fear, and then he came over to the boat. Now, we often think of this miracle, Jesus walking on the water, as happening close to shore, right? You know, there's the shore, here's Jesus, here's a boat. No, this is miles, miles out in the middle of nothing, a whole bunch of nothing. It tells us that it was during the fourth watch of the night. Now, the Jews had adopted the Roman division of time since their occupation by them, and basically it started at 6 p.m. and was divided into four three-hour sections. You had 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. was the first watch. You have 9 p.m. to midnight, second watch. You have midnight to 3 a.m., third watch. And then this tells us this is in the fourth watch of the night, so that we know this is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Ain't no one should be walking on water at that time. That's just not normal, okay? So Jesus had to be physically a beacon of light in the midst of darkness to just be seen at night by the disciples on this lake. The disciples, again, thought he was a ghost, and they called out to him, and only then does Jesus approach the boat. Now, the first thing we can learn from these passages about your storms, first of all, when you call on Jesus, he responds. We see this in both stories, when they wake Jesus up from sleeping, and when they call out to him walking on the lake. When you call on Jesus, he responds. His own words lock him into a binding agreement with us, and Luke Chapter 11, verse 9, Jesus says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, what? Receives. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. And to him who seeks, finds. Jesus tells us plain that when we ask for him, when we seek him, when we call out to him, in the midst of our storms, he shows up. It's a promise. And so you're aware, the boats in these stories aren't yachts. They're not fabulous. So get out of your head anything that says Royal Caribbean 
or carnival. It's not that. These boats, in fact, were probably actually no bigger than this stage for a good perspective. Little fishermen's boats meant to just be on this three or four mile lake. Went on a major ocean, but it still got rocky. So think of a giant wooden canoe, big enough to hold about 14 people and a bunch of fish. And that's about the type of boats that were used in that area at the time. So there was no way possible in our first story for Jesus to be asleep in the boat and not know about the storm going on around him. He was probably even getting wet. Now, you need to be thinking about that because this is another thing that we can learn. Because in the storms of your life, you're either one of two things as you endure them. You are either steadfast or you're shaking. There's no middle ground. You are either steadfast in the storm or you are shaking. You are either resolute despite your surroundings or you are reserved because of them. You are either confident being with Jesus or you are questioning your faith. You are either sleeping calmly with Jesus in the boat or you are freaking out because of the waves crashing in your storm right now. You see, in both stories, Jesus does two things exactly the same. The first thing we'll notice comes at the very end of these passages. He asks them a very similar but actually very different question. A question that both start with the same words, you of little faith. Kind of mean for Jesus, right? Kind of derogatory. But is he wrong? Nope. Tough words. This is a hard teaching. I don't know if I can accept that. Yeah, you of little faith, he says to the disciples. In the first storm story, he asked the disciples, you have a little faith, why were you so afraid? And the second storm story, where Jesus walks on water, he says to Peter, you have a little faith, why did you doubt? And so Jesus brings up these two things that can actually absolutely dominate how we handle our storms if we allow them to. Fear and doubt. Fear and doubt. We can learn this from these stories. Don't be afraid of your circumstances or your situation. Don't be afraid of your circumstances or your situation. Now here's why. The circumstances you're in during your storm are just that. They are circumstances. Do you think that all of your problems are yours to solve? Yeah, anyone? Yeah, they're not. With faith, they become his problems to solve. And this is where that peace that passes all understanding comes in because the world cannot understand this. They can't get their brains wrapped around this because when you know Jesus as your Savior, there is no circumstance on this earth that is a life-ending circumstance. None. Not one. And as bad as things get in your storm, if you lose your job and your house and your car and your retirement and your TV and your custody of your kids, and even your health. Not one of these situations is a life-ending situation if you know Jesus. Even your death, this is where it gets fun, even your death is not a life-ending situation. And knowing Jesus is a life-beginning one. And this bothers a lot of people because this kind of mindset freaks them out. But this knowledge and this relationship with Jesus opens the door to an ability for us to not be afraid of our circumstances or our situation. 
It enables us to endure the storm and maybe even chill out in the back of the boat, sleeping with Jesus calmly, while worldly waves that would crush anyone else become our lullaby. Another thing we can learn from these stories and this question that Jesus asks, don't doubt God's plan or provision. So don't be afraid in the circumstances or situations and don't doubt God's plan or provision. There is a purpose for the storm you're in. You might not see it, but there is. Jesus' questions deal with a lack of faith, with fear, and with doubt. And just like when Jesus was in the boat, you being in a storm is not an unknown to God. Even when Jesus was sleeping, there was a storm. He knew it. Just didn't freak him out. I imagine the disciples running around like chickens with their heads cut off in this small little boat. <laughs> Waves, the bail faster. And Jesus is like, <laughs> that's how cool this story is because that's the solid rock we depend on. And we're, bail, there's water. And he's like, <laughs> God is not unaware of your circumstances, He is not uncaring of your situation. He who created the heavens and the earth also knows the intricacies and the minute details of your individual storm. It's one of the awesome things that make God, God. And though he's not a genius, like that one point from Aladdin drives it home. Infinite cosmic power! That's how cool that is. And it might not be visually apparent to you, But there is always a shoreline in your storm. It won't last forever. But for as long as you are in it, don't doubt his plan or his provision. Do not fear your circumstances or situations. And the last thing we'll pull out of these storm stories this morning is actually what happens not last, but first. And there's small little details that we just easily breeze past and we can easily just overlook this. But once you notice them, they can shift everything you think you know about your faith. I want to recap these stories. Just read the first few verses in each one. Here's Matthew 14 again. It says, Immediately Jesus, what? Made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead. A few pages before, back in Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus got into the boat and his disciples, what? Followed him. Now, in both stories, I want you to get this. In both stories, Jesus is the one leading into the storm. You get that? Jesus is the one leading them into a storm. Both times, Jesus puts the disciples into a place of gut wrenching, I don't have the answers for this, I'm not able to fix this situations. In both Stories. Jesus is doing the exact thing we already discussed that he does. He's testing their hearts, their resolve, their faith. And both times, they come up short, right? You of little faith. There is a subculture, I think, in Christianity today that says that God is just nice and kind and good and loving. And he would never puts you in a storm. That's a bunch of baloney. Don't believe it. It's not biblical. He will, in fact, as his word's proven, put you directly in a storm. 
and your heart will be tested, but it's not without a purpose. Remain steadfast. See how? You don't know the storm I'm in. You don't know what's going on. How? How can you not fear the circumstances that I'm in? How can you not doubt this plan because it seems like chaos to me? How can you possibly remain steadfast in the midst of all that I'm going through right now? Because here's the best part of today. Jesus may lead you into the storm, but he will never leave you in the storm. Jesus may lead you into the storm to test, see what your heart's really made of, but he will never leave you in the storm. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 31, just to set this, Moses is old, and they're passing on the leadership to Joshua. Fun fact, did anyone see the news of the past 48 hours? Did you not see what non-Christian archaeologists have found at the bottom of the Red Sea near Suez? Between 500 and 5,000 dead Egyptian corpses and chariots. (laughs) Naysayers, right? Oh, this didn't happen. Okay. They got some splaining to do. So to set the story, Moses is old, and he's passing on the leadership to Joshua. And they're about to go into the promised land, which to the Israelites doesn't seem so promised. Because guess what? There's already a bunch of people and warring tribes that don't like the Israelites already living there. That doesn't seem like very promised, right? And they don't know how to defeat him. So Moses, who is the greatest prophet, even says in the Bible, who walked with God, whose face glowed all the time because of being on Mount Zion with God, who initiated the plagues and led his people out of Egypt, who parted the waves at the Red Sea. This famous Moses, before he dies, passes on everything that Joshua needs to know to weather the storms he's about to face in one sentence. And before I read this verse, I want you to substitute the word them that we're going to read for any problem or any situation or any circumstance that you have in your storm right now. Here it is. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Everything that Joshua needs to know. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. Those thems for you are different. They're not Canaanites. They're not Amorites. They're your storms. They're your trials. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. This is all Joshua needs to know to weather this storm. This is all you and I need to know to weather this storm. Because though you may be led into a storm by Jesus, he will not leave you in the storm. He is there with you and with a reason. Your heart may be tested right now. You might have a a Job complex going on where everything seems to just be falling apart. You might be in the storm of your life. But you are either shaking or you are steadfast in your storm. Remain steadfast in the storm. 
knowing Jesus determines if we handle these situations or if these situations handle us. Remember that it is ultimately your heart, not anything else, your heart that is being tested and make that test part of your testimony. When you call on Jesus, he responds. It's a promise. You can bank on it. Do not be afraid of your circumstances or your situation and do not doubt God's plan or his provision. Jesus may lead you into the storm, but he will never leave you in the storm. He will never forsake you. He goes with you. Therefore, like we read in Deuteronomy, be strong, be courageous. And though may you, you might be in the storm of your life this morning, there is a shoreline for you. Jesus is not the escape from the storm. He is your destination in the storm. Remain steadfast in the Lord. Let's pray.